You can't handle the truth. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> You're gonna need a bigger boat. Get away from her, you bitch! The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. To infinity and beyond! Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Yes, it is episode 96. Uh, we are recording this on uh, St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Happy um, St. Patrick's Day. Manny, how are you celebrating over there? I am not wearing anything green, nor I am I imbibing in any alcoholic beverage. Yes, I am wearing green. Uh, however, uh, I do believe nearly every pub in Calgary is either closed for quarantine or uh, or reduced capacity or uh, or diseased in general. So yeah. I I am uh, I'm wearing my green my Kelly green Canucks hat and uh, and drinking a cold glass of water in celebration and celebrating with you, of course. I'm wearing my red Coca-Cola shirt and drinking iced tea. I wonder if we should have watched like a super Irish movie. Maybe do any such things exist? Boston Irish, maybe. <laughs> Uh, we have an Irish movie coming up, uh, but at the rate at which we're doing Oscar films, it might be around next time for uh, St. Patrick's Day, and that would be <laughs> that would be Braveheart. Wouldn't oh wait, no, so- that's Scottish. Never mind. Oh God, man. <laughs> Irish. We'd have to. Wa- oh, we could do um, uh, in the name of your father. In the name of the father. I am not familiar. It's a Daniel Day Lewis film. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Dan Lewis. Yeah, good old Dan Lewis. Ooh. Yeah. I think it was. I think it might have been a Best Picture nominee, so we won't be screwed. Uh, Manny, before we get any further in the episode, please uh, tell people where they can find us on social media. Oh, they can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore Movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com. If you remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, give us that five-star rating and a positive review. It will increase the profile of this podcast we have and allow more people to find it. And it literally only takes you like maybe 20 seconds to give us that that five-star rating. We would greatly appreciate it if you could. Remember to subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be iTunes, Luminary, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts, please subscribe to us and listen to us up. Cool. Love all of that. Uh, first big order of business, or I guess a second after wishing everyone a happy St. Patty's Day. We owe a big thanks to a first-time guest last week, T-Bone. Uh, he, had a, he had a good episode on uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, and, he uh, did. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks, T-Bone. Thanks for coming on. It was awesome having uh, my best friend here. He was very nervous. It was fun to watch him be nervous, and <laughs> it was it was a good time. It, it was I, I had a lot of fun on that on that episode with him yeah. here and uh, a spe- a special thanks to him for rigging the contest in my favor at the end of the episode that was really cool of him it's fucking disgusting it was dumb <laughs> and it's the only time he will ever be on this podcast yeah <laughs> thanks uh congratulations to t-bone on a good first and final appearance on yes. the podcast. yes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it was uh yeah thanks uh thanks t-bone or uh, as everyone else knows him as uh, sean thompson Thanks, thanks for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure having you here. 
Cool. Love all of that. Um, let's get into it. Manny, uh, you've had yourself a busy week as normal. Uh, I guess everyone is spending a little bit more time inside, so these sorts of segments might start getting a little bit long. But uh, why don't you update me on what you've been watching? Well, I've been keeping up with my promise to rewatch the MCU with, once again, my good friend Holly. We knocked off two more films, and I was really excited for this week because we were revisiting one that I hadn't seen in a long time that is widely considered the worst of the films, and that's Thor The Dark World. Rewatching it, uh, I still had a good time. There's some really great moments, obviously, between Thor and Loki. But I could, watching it, I could definitely see why it's it ranks amongst amongst the lowest, if not the lowest. Did that mean I hated it? No, I still loved it. It's a fucking MCU movie. The worst MCU movie still better than the best uh, DCU movie. Mm, Wonder Woman would like a word. Oh, good call. Busted. <laughs> Lawyered. You got me there. But yeah, uh, it was uh, Thor the Dark World, de definitely lower tier MCU, but I still had a great time watching it. And then I got to rewatch one of my top five MCU films, and that's Captain America Winter Soldier. I can't remember exactly where I had it ranked on our, MC, our top five MCU films. I could definitely take a quick peek if I could find it quickly. Uh, MCU, there it is right there. And I had it as number three. Your third favorite MCU movie. But this was this was before Endgame came out, right? Correct. Yeah. So and, it'd be slipping down to number four, I assume. I actually think we did this before Infinity War as well. We did. Oh, God. Long time yeah. ago. So Infinity War and Endgame aren't included on that list, which would probably bump this down to fifth now. And then looking at what I put at number two, I'm actually kind of surprised that was that high. Um well, I, I'm, I might have to revisit my top five MCU after rewatching the entire MCU. Mm. Uh, but Captain America Winter Soldier, it actually had been a while since I watched it, and I was astounded again and reminded at how fucking good that movie is. It is so good, and the action set pieces are so amazing. The opening uh, attack on the boat with uh, Georges St. Pierre in there, the, oh yeah, the, I forgot about that. Yeah, the <laughs> uh, the assassination attempt on Fury in the car. What an incredible car chase scene! And then the elevator scene with Captain America. And, Before we start, does anyone want to get out? Yeah, and there's <sighs> a and uh, again, uh, f well, for those that don't know, uh, my friend Holly and I are rewatching the entire MCU. She has not seen Endgame. And so, as we've been watching these, seeing all the Endgame callbacks is amazing. And there's a scene in this between Captain America and Agent Carter. And it made me cry. It made me cry. And <laughs> I was crying and giggling because I know what's coming ahead. <laughs> Because I know that if I'm crying at this, it's going to get even worse later on. There's going to be a lot of that coming up, I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Winter Soldier is so fucking good. It was such a such a fantastic rewatch. Oh, God, I was so excited. Uh, so, yeah, so I watched those. That was awesome. 
And then to uh, continue my streak of watching a movie I've never seen, one per week, uh, that is not part of our podcast schedule or revisiting something I haven't seen in a long time is the new Netflix movie called Spencer Confidential starring uh, Mark Wahlberg. <clears throat> and this movie is a complete mess. It's uh, at, it, it, it lacks direction. It doesn't know what kind of movie it wants to be at sometimes it's an enjoyable it has some really kind of goofy not i shouldn't say goofy has some very comedic moments but then other times it's trying to be a very serious film and it can't find the right tone and it shows but like i enjoyed seeing george st pierre in captain america winter soldier another mma fighter makes a small appearance in this movie his name is donald cowboy cerrone and I nearly shit myself because I didn't even know he was in this movie. And I was so excited to see him. Very, a tiny, 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 tiny role. And it's definitely not worth watching. Uh, the <laughs> I'm going to spoil Spencer Confidential. Uh, I'm going to spoil near the end in three, two, one, go fuck yourself. The big action set piece at the end, you can see that this movie was definitely on a budget. <laughs> As the big action set piece at the end is a semi-trailer uh, w without, the, without the trailer, so it's just the front, the semi-truck, uh, smashing through uh, about five cars. That's it. And it's not even on a highway. It's in an abandoned dog racetrack. That's the big set piece at the end of this movie. Now, of course, there's the big end fight scene between uh, Mark Wahlberg and his uh, antagonist in the film, who I will not reveal because there's little plot twists in this movie that are you can see uh, coming a mile away. But I, I, I won't spoil it there. I just wanted to give away that action set piece there because you can see how much of a horrible budget this movie has. Yeah, I'm looking up uh, the director, Peter Berg, right now, and he has some movies I think that you like. You're, you're a fan of Patriot's Day, right? I am, and that's what had me surprised because Peter Berg's done some movies that <laughs> I actually really enjoy. I did like Patriot's Day, Deepwater Horizon. Um, uh, Lone Survivor is another one that you Haven't did. seen it. Own it. Mile, haven't seen it. Mile 22. Haven't seen it. Hancock. Seen it. <laughs> Have you seen like Hancock? The, like, the first, like the first half of it. Yes, and yeah. then when you start realizing where it's going, you're like, don't go there. You're like, there. what the fuck is happening? You're like, you're not going there, are you? No, you're just kind of, you're playing with us. Oh, you're going there. Oh, this movie sucks. Yeah, first half is really interesting. And yes. then the second half does not do anything for me. No, no. And that, it's, I don't even, I don't want to even spoil that. Yeah. Um, I think he also did like Friday Night Lights. He did. Uh, which is a good movie. I've only seen it once. Um, oh, he did a movie that I am uh, that I have seen, but not for some time. The Rundown. Oh, I fucking love The Rundown with uh, with Dwayne Johnson and Sean William Scott. That's a fucking fantastic film. That movie is so much fun. Uh, is there a more quintessential like late '90s, early 2000s comedy actor than Sean William Scott? Like no. he is just for me so representative of that era. I could not agree more. <laughs> could not agree more. Uh, thunder, lightning, thunder, lightning. Um, yeah, Spencer Confidential, not a good movie. Don't waste your time. I, I, I implore you not to waste your time. Uh, too bad. Sp spoiler alert for upcoming Sampas, 
most likely going to be a worst picture of the year nominee. Really? Yeah. I could again, spoiler alert, I tried as hard as I could to figure out some way to to give it a three. Couldn't do it. It was an it was an it was a two. Wow. It was a two. It it didn't get into one territory, but it was it was a two and I kept thinking I kept thinking I'm like, I please let me find something that can bump it up to a three. Now, this is this is the highlight of the movie. If there's, if you're a huge fan of this comedian, am I allowed to feminize that name? If there or are female comics just comedians now? I I will allow it. Okay, so the, if you're a fan of this female comedian, <laughs> then it might be worth it because every time she's on screen, the movie goes up to a four, and that's Eliza Schlesinger. She is so much fun and having the time of her life in this movie playing Mark Wahlberg's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> it is whenever she was on screen, I was I, I sat up, I was like, this is fucking awesome. I wish she was in every scene of the movie. She is she steals I'm not even lying, every single scene she's in, she just sucks life back into it and makes you wish that the movie was about her. <laughs> So, if you're looking for a reason to watch it, she's the reason to watch it. Other than that, avoid this movie at all costs. She's the reason this movie is a two and not a one? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Wow. Yeah. If she wasn't in it, so if they extracted that character, I don't think I could give this, I don't think I could give it a two. It was, it's a bad movie. That does not sound very good. I, yeah. I've been trying uh, on, on Metacritic. Metacritic, it's at 49 right now. Whew. That, which I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is on par with the Oscar-nominated Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch Bohemian Rhapsody w- easily over this. Wow, that's strong words coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> which, again, I, I, I really do want to rewatch that movie. Yeah, I want to... You must be missing something. I I really I I really want to give that movie another fair chance. Well, uh, I I've been having myself a busy week indoors as well. Uh, in preparation, well, I mean we're, we've been watching a lot of 1997 movies for this year's Oscars, including the one we're talking about today, L.A. Confidential. Um, so I decided to watch two movies from 1997 that I haven't seen in some time. Uh, the first one is arguably. It's probably the movie I've seen the most of any movie in the world. And that's uh, that's Liar Liar. It's a comedy starring Jim Carrey. This is the sort of movie that was always on TV when I was growing up. Uh, and when it wasn't, I wanted to watch it with my family uh, as someone who grew up on Jim Carrey. Anyone who listens to the show knows that I uh, loved the guy growing up and still do. Um, it's a super cheesy comedy movie about a lawyer who uh, magically loses the ability to lie and of course it totally rides on jim carrey's uh, slapstick comedy it's the uh, it's the star of the show um it had been probably about two or three years since i watched it which is probably about the longest i've gone in my entire life without watching it since the first time and i gotta say it is just a it's still hilarious every time i watch it i always worry about these old comedies about the comedy aging well um, one Jim Carrey movie in particular, Ace Ventura, uh, the ending of that movie has not aged well in 2020. Uh, but uh, Liar Liar, I still think, is, is really fun. Uh, you, you've seen this movie, right? Oh, yeah, but I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe I should revisit this before we get to our end of the year. 
Yeah, honestly, knowing you, I'm not sure it's your cup of tea, but it's it's got a solid score on Metacritic. Um, it's got a family-friendly message. It's got a solid slapstick comedy from Jim Carrey, some good gags. I don't know. I think there might be something in it for you. You definitely won't like it as much as I do. I can guarantee you that. Oh, 100%. But. I won't guarantee as much as that. But I, I, remember watching, I remember watching this in the theater because everyone was on the Jim Carrey train. Mm-hmm. I had probably gotten off the Jim Carrey train at this point. I got back on when he started doing serious work. But I remember... 100% not hating this movie. I remember enjoying it. Which is about as glowing a recommendation any Jim Carrey comedy gets from Manny. Pretty much. <laughs> remember not hating it. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. Off the top of my head, this would probably... This is easily in my top two Jim Carrey comedies. With the other being... The first Ace Ventura. Yeah. Yeah, first Ace Ventura is pretty good. If I bet you if I rewatch Ace Ventura, I'm gonna fucking hate it and it will follow <laughs> it will not fall into the top two. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually intri- I'm I'm kind of intrigued to rewatch Liar Liar. One of the reasons I think Liar Liar works so well is that uh Jim Carrey's not only being the like the goofball he's also being sort of his own straight man like half half of the half of the comedy in it is his reactions to what he's saying and how shocked he is at all these things he's saying uh i don't know it's i i personally enjoy this movie every time that i watch it i've probably seen it close to 100 times in my life honestly and i will continue to watch this until the day that i die perfect good Uh, The other movie from 1997 uh, that I watched was one that I've only seen once previous, but I wanted to revisit because I remembered liking it the first time. It's it's, uh, Boogie Nights, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, For those who don't know, Boogie Nights is a crazy film about a uh, a, an up and coming porn star uh, named. Oh, my God. Why can't I think of his name right now? Dirk Um, Diggler. Dirk Diggler, thank you. Yeah, an up-and-coming porn star named Dirk Diggler, played by Mark Wahlberg, um, and uh, his sort of uh, mentor and director, uh, <clears throat> uh, Jack something or other, played by Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, it is a spectacular movie. I I personally think about this movie as like a dark comedy, at least in the first half of it. Um, I forgot just how dark it does get in the okay. second half. It, yep. it truly goes to some horrifying places, um, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise from the director of There Will Be Blood. This is uh, the movie that launched PTA. Or for those of you that don't know, that's Paul Thomas Anderson. Sorry, that was yeah, the shorthand. Yeah. yeah, can't be can't be launching shorthands like that unannounced. But yes, yes Mr. PTA. Uh, yeah, truly uh, jumped onto the scene with this movie. He it um, catapult like I can't describe like the the. I didn't mean to cut you off, Sam, but this mo- this movie catapulted Paul Thomas Anderson into the into the movie world. The level of excitement that behind him and this film had only previously been reached by Quentin. Like this is only three four years after Pulp Fiction, and so when Boogie Nights came out, everyone started talking about how Paul Thomas Anderson is, is like he's the next Tarantino. Yeah, I think I, I have to dive into his filmography a little bit more because those are the only two that I've seen, Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood. Um, I know that Magnolia has uh, gotten excellent reviews. Love I know the Punch Drunk, Punch Drunk Love, I, I believe, won Adam Sandler a Golden Globe, if I, or at least got him the nomination. I'm not sure. Definitely nomination. Uh, uh, I, I would, I'd, be, I'd be open to revisiting it. I remember not being overly thrilled by it. 
Uh, I haven't seen the master, but I have seen the most famous scene from the master because it's often regarded as like one of the greatest acting scenes ever between Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Haven't seen it. It's on my list on Amazon Prime. And then, yeah, I have not seen Inherent Vice or Phantom Thread. And you said you just watched Phantom Thread for the first time, right? Yeah, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> yeah so paul thomas anderson obviously some some hits and misses but this is definitely a hit boogie nights is a uh spectacularly funny movie it's uh it's horrifying towards the end it is a classic uh cost of success uh story i love i love stories like this where the main character in the first act just gets everything what they want they become a superstar they become a rock star and then life just comes crashing down around them it's true truly uh of that genre and it's really interesting marky mark is great in it uh philip seymour hoffman is really funny in it um yeah good performances all around and there's some really uh some really tense scenes towards the end of this movie yeah this m- possibly could be mark Wahlberg's best performance uh yeah i haven't i can't think of any better ones off the top of my head i mean he was nominated for the departed but that's a joke <laughs> he uh he definitely should not have been in my I opinion definitely, yeah this, this and be- I, I say that as somebody who loves that movie yeah uh, uh, this is easily top three he's like he's so good in this movie yeah, that little uh, he has a an argument with his mom at the beginning of the movie where he says like, "I'm gonna be somebody," and he, like he just goes on this rapid fire rant about how he's gonna be successful and he's got talents and she she doesn't even know. Oh, yeah. another thing I'm gonna another thing I'm gonna note about this movie is that about half the comedy in it is about the size of Mark Wahlberg's dick. Yeah, and I forgot that, and then yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot all of the talk about Mark Wahlberg's dick. Yeah, I'm I'm actually going to be rewatching this again before we get to our uh, 97 year review because I I definitely want to revisit this movie. Cool, love all of that. So. That is what we've been watching this week. That is uh, that is March 2020. Now let's take another trip back to 1997 and talk about today's episode, Manny, L.A. Confidential. You want to take it away? I do. So we're going to be talking about L.A. Confidential. It was released September 19th, 1997, directed by Curtis Hansen, written by Curtis Hansen and Brian Helglund, based off the James Elroy novel, starring Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pearce, Kim Basinger, and James Cromwell. has a meta score of 90. It went two for nine at the Oscars, winning Best Supporting Actress for Kim Basinger and Best Adapted Screenplay. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Art and Set Decoration, Best Sound, Best Film Editing, and Best Score. It had a budget of $35 million. It grows 64 in the U.S. and 126 worldwide. The plot. As corruption grows in 1950s Los Angeles, three policemen, one straight-laced, one brutal, and one sleazy, investigate a series of murders with their own brand of justice sam as always with our oscar retrospectives as we are now in part four of our 70th annual academy awards retrospective miniseries had you seen this film prior to it being required viewing no uh i had not seen this movie and as you and listeners know i tried to go in as blind as physically possible uh when when watching these things so coming in i basically knew that this was a crime movie with Kevin Spacey. That was the extent of my knowledge of this movie. Awesome. Uh, and so which, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on LA Confidential? Spoiler-free thoughts. I thought this movie was excellent. It was a really fun ride from front to back. Uh, you obviously knew that I was going to like this movie because you know me. Yeah. Uh, if I recall, actually, uh, once upon a time, I, I've told the story a couple times about how uh, you sent me a li- massive list of movies when I was out <laughs> sick. 
Uh, this was one of the movies that you sent for me to watch. I knew that this was very high on your list for me to watch, and you had been excited about this one for a long time. Yes. Also, last week with T-Bone, uh, he mentioned that he was really excited for us to talk about this movie. Um, so even though I knew very little about it, I knew its reputation. I knew it was uh, it was a force to be reckoned with. And that is often scary for me because I, I, I'm afraid to go in with too high of expectations. But honestly, I had a lot of fun. Uh, all the performances are excellent. Uh, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, and Guy Pearce in the uh, in the leads are uh, are so good at playing off one another. Um, this movie is uh, there's a term that Roger Ebert uh, coined that I really love. Uh, he calls this a onza movie, like a W U N Z A onza, as in one's a straight laced uh, by the book cop, the others. <laughs> so this is this is about the best of that genre, in my opinion, uh, as far as like. I guess you could call this a buddy cop movie. Uh, as no. Far- no, you don't think so? Not even close. Really? No. I mean, I, I, the only reason I use that term is because it follows this, it follows the same format, even though it's more of a noir slash drama, thriller, whatever you want to call it. It, it still plays off of the same uh, same sort of tropes in the sense that one of your cops, one of your leads, is just really straight-laced by the book, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, hyper motivated sort of guy and the other one's the one who's not afraid to get his knuckles dirty and he's not afraid to be a man and punch some people and it's just i don't know maybe maybe you don't define that as a buddy cop movie because those are more like you know rush hour or like one, one of those sorts of things yes but i, I still I, at least even if you don't consider it a buddy cop movie it's at the very least an offshoot of that sort of genre i can understand why you're making that connection i would yeah. never refer to this movie as a buddy cop movie yeah i, I think yeah, maybe it's also that uh, the term buddy cop also has sort of like a negative connotation. Like it's uh, I, kind of it, nope. it's kind of implied that it's not good. Nope, I I disagree with you there. Uh, really? I, I, yeah, I disagree. I don't think a buddy cop a moniker added to a movie make means it's a bad movie. Like for me, Lethal Weapon is the perfect buddy cop movie. The first Rush Hour is a buddy cop movie, and those are both movies that I thoroughly enjoy. It, like like I don't want to compare Lethal Weapon <clears throat> and Rush Hour because Rush Hour is just like it's cheesy fun but lethal weapon is a legitimate really great movie and this is from for me what's implied with a buddy cop movie is it has almost equal parts comedy and action Mm -hmm. and while there are a few comedic moments in this movie at no point is this a comedy at at zero points this is uh, this is like a it's this is closer to a film noir and, yes, absolutely. And never would I consider any film noir a buddy cop movie. All right. I, well, I, I don't see a buddy cop movie. I don't, I don't see a buddy cop label on a film as derogatory. I, I think it's just a, a easy way to describe the type of movie it can be. So I, I don't see. I, I just don't feel. For, I guess for me, the, the connotation with putting a buddy cop label on something is that there's a lot of comedy, and this does not have a lot of comedy in it. Okay. Yeah, I uh, I definitely didn't think about it like that, but I can see that if we spend more time on this, we're definitely going to start spinning tires and uh, spitting up mud. So <laughs> we'll, uh, I'll finish off by saying that I think I, I'm going to need to watch this movie again. A because it was great, and B because there's so much information in it. There's a lot of there's a lot of names and side plots and and relationships that are sort of implied, and it's there's a lot of information in this movie, and I don't think I caught up on all of it the first time, so it's going to need to be a rewatch for sure. Um, and the 
the the highlight of the movie in my opinion is the the relationship between Exley and White and this was sort of the connection I was trying to make uh, whether you uh, regardless of what label you want to put on it I think the uh, flavor that comes from this movie is primarily from their relationship and how they're sort of opposing sides of the same coin they have different ideas of what justice is and a lot of the conflict both comedic and non-comedic that arises between them comes from their differing views on justice and how to achieve justice so it's a, it's a really interesting provocative movie some good comedic moments um and uh really well shot really well written yeah a lot of fun yeah awesome i i love this movie and exactly what you said there was such a per, like a perfect point uh is that you are wanting to rewatch this movie to kind of catch up and think about all uh, this is this is a this is a plot dense and a plot heavy film. And Very much. this is the kind of movie that I worship because, and I've told, and I actually meant to text you and I, I kind of felt bad because I've told everybody, I'm like, if you want to watch a really great movie, watch Ellie confidential, but you have to be in the mood to watch a movie. This mm-hmm. isn't a movie you can put on in the background. This isn't a movie you can put on and be texting your friends because this movie has so much plot so many characters, the p- p- characters' names mean something. What people are doing in each scene means something and pays off later, or it's describing something that's going to be that has already happened. There's so much talking and dialogue and plot in this film that you are required to pay attention. And I know a lot of people out there aren't capable of that. But <laughs> for those of you that are willing to put forth and it's not much of an effort, let's be honest. But if you're willing to put forth the effort to actually sit down and watch a movie, plug this in, turn your phone to silent and throw it away, sit down and watch an incredible film, like a, a, a noir thriller. Like this movie is so fucking good. And the performances, like you said, are, are, are exceptional. Yeah, sorry, Sam. Yeah. yeah, just one sort of thing I wanted to say was that uh, on the note that you need to sort of be in the right mindset for this movie, I, I completely agree with that. I had actually had uh, a very long day at work when I watched this. Uh, with uh, I, I work in a mall that is still open in all of these uh, COVID nineteen scares. One of the few, one of the few that hasn't reduced hours. So it was it was a long day of uh, of you know <laughs> running around trying to figure out scheduling and whether we're going to be open and calls with superiors and figuring out the whole situation so by the time i got home from work i was just absolutely wiped i was i was absolutely exhausted and uh yeah putting on this movie was about the worst choice i could have made mm-hmm. uh as far as like a mo- a good movie to watch that particular night so uh that's another reason why i think i'm gonna need to rewatch this one i still gave it my full attention it wasn't on my phone or anything because like you said it's super dense uh, and super, uh, super full of information, but yeah, I'm going to need to rewatch when I'm not uh, half brain dead as well. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into this movie. Let's spoil it. Sam, why don't you take us into spoilers? Okay. If you haven't seen LA confidential, please go do so. Uh, cause we are going to spoil the shit out of it. Uh, three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Here we go. I loved the opening voiceover by Danny DeVito. It sets up the tone of this movie, really kind of takes you back to the 1950s L.A., reminds you that this was the City of Angels, that there was so much hope and dreams for this movie at that, or sorry, for that city at the time. And it, like, 
the way that he does the voiceover and what they're showing on screen kind of sets up and lets you know this is the movie you're going to see. You better fucking pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very quick moving intro. Yes. Um, I, I love uh, it sort of sets up the idea of this power vacuum that's being created uh, with uh, the allusions to um, uh, Al Capone being taken down by uh, <clears throat> by the IRS. Uh, yep. This L.A. crime boss has been taken down the same way. And now uh, now there's this power vacuum that's going to be filled. Yeah, I, well, I'm not sure if you knew, but like the the mob people in this movie are real people. Yeah, I, I in a little bit of reading uh, before coming on the air tonight, I, I did discover that a, a lot of the people and events are at the very least based off of real people. Yes. And then, yeah. 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 Okay. Perfect. This is the movie where I was introduced to Russell Crowe. I saw this in theaters back in '97, '97, '96, '97. I saw this back in theaters, and I hadn't. I'd heard of Russell Crowe and his performance in the movie Romper Stomper. I still haven't seen it, but I'd heard of him. But this is the movie that I was introduced to Russell Crowe, and what a spectacular introduction for me. His (laughs) performance here, I remember seeing this, and I was thinking, I'm like, I've just seen a superstar in the making. I'm like, I can't wait to see this guy at the Oscars this year because he's going to get nominated for this 100%. He wasn't but I definitely think he should have been. And it's such a great, it's, it's like, it's such a great role. And I loved, I, I loved Russell Crowe as Bud White. Yeah, little did you know what a superstar he would become in the late nineties and early two thousands. Like this, this, I guess would have been the beginning of Russell Crowe, just absolutely taking the nation by storm yes. and, and being in everything basically that was nominated for an Oscar. Let's see who would I've, and then Guy Pierce as well. I think oh, uh, Guy Pierce is so. It, it, Guy Pierce. Uh, this was his uh, also sort of his big screen introduction, uh, at least in the leading role, was it not? No, he had done this Australian film uh, called Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, mm-hmm. and that had been a big festival hit. That he had become well known for. Like I knew about it, and. But prior, like uh, that, this is this is like number two. So for the for the general, like for the general audience, like not kind of film nerds and people on that periphery, this is what a this would have been his his big, like I don't want to say his big screen debut, but this is a, a mainstream debut. But the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, was 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 really well known by obviously people in the industry and then like fringe people around that so yeah. this is where he would have really kind of been discovered by by mainstream audiences i uh, i love the character of exley right from the beginning um again the introduction to uh bud white is oh. him beating the shit out of a spousal abuser which is, is a great introduction to his character not only because it's a badass moment but also because it's it's quite important to his character why why it is that he has this just deep gut hatred for spousal abusers in particular and we find that out later so it's a nice little uh setup and payoff that we find out later actually i want to expound on that it's actually the first the first three scenes well the first four scenes if you want to count the voiceover so we'll scrap that there's there's three characters in this film that get a title card and that's bud white jack vincennes and ed exley 
and mm-hmm. each they have three scenes back to back to back that introduce you to each character and each scene lets you know what kind of character this person is perfectly like this is brilliant filmmaking and that's, what their motivations are yes so you use that and that's a perfect example the first scene is bud white beating up the 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 woman abuser so it lets you know one this guy is triggered by guys that abuse women two he stands for what's good even though he may cross the line in like obviously in police brutality crosses the line here and later on obviously does but here we see that he has no problem with violence but he he's triggered by men that beat women mm-hmm. and it's so like it's played perfectly obvious then the next scene we find out about Jack Vincennes, who obviously loves being this technical advisor for the show. He's super sleazy. He loves Big ego. F- yeah, huge, like huge ego. And mm-hmm. it's so perfectly captured. And then it lets you know that he is a little on the corrupt side, but not in an overly bad way because the, the, the money he ends up taking does technically lead to an arrest of somebody doing something illegal. But he's not – he's okay with taking money to do these kind of things and to, you know, set it up and make a little money on the side. But he is doing it. He's doing it for the greater good, but he's a little sleazy in the way that he does it. He's not corrupt in that he's letting guilty people go free. He's actually taking money to arrest guilty people, but benefits from that arrest because he gets paid to do it Mm -hmm. by uh, Sid uh, Sid Hudgens, uh, played by Danny DeVito. And then the next scene... We are introduced to Ed Exley, who they have the scene that shows that this guy is on the moral right side in that little interview he has with Dudley, where Dudley asks him all the questions, is he willing to do this to work in homicide, which he obviously answers no to, and then he tells him, then you shouldn't be in homicide. Yeah, It's, th- it's like brilliant filmmaking that sets these characters up at the, at the end of that scene that's when the movie begins and you're just you're like okay I fucking I know these characters I know them inside and out already because of three scenes it is spectacular yeah it's very very efficient storytelling that you have these three main characters that you need at the center of your story and are so crucial to all the themes and whatnot and the plots and like you said Boom, 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 three scenes in a row. You know exactly what every character is about. You know exactly what they stand for. And you have an idea of how they're going to interact. Again, especially with uh, White and Exley, you have a very good idea that these two are going to be opposite sides of this issue. And uh, you have a, a very good idea that they're going to clash. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was very efficient storytelling. Awesome. Uh, big fan of James Cromwell as well in this movie. He's mm-hmm. so great as Captain Dudley. Um. Captain, did not yeah. see uh did not see the turn coming until uh the scene itself i, I in the middle of the scene what when i think um vincennes straight up asks him i'm sorry we're gonna jump around a little bit that's here. fine uh, i wanted to ask about this anyways vincennes straight up asks him about this case that he's been investigating and uh <clears throat> james cronwell uh, dudley smith asks uh, doesn't answer the question and he says what are you getting at or something like that and ask him a really tiptoey question and uh, in in the beginning of that conversation in the kitchen i was like i think dudley's gonna fucking i, I think he's he might be a bad guy and then he asks uh, uh dudley winds up asking him 
what does actually think of all this? I'm like, you're about to get fucking shot. Like, you're, <laughs> you're about to get shot. This is bad. <laughs> I was like, I so, I'm so excited you brought this up because I wanted to ask you if you saw the turn coming. And then I was wondering because when, when he, um, when Vincennes shows up, and for those of you that haven't seen this movie, I honestly stop listening and go watch it <laughs> yeah. Be- because we were, we're literally, we, we left the first 10 minutes of this movie and we're now at the last 20. Yeah. <laughs> well, it flowed so naturally. Yeah. The, uh, when Vincennes gets there, Dudley answers the door and immediately says his wife and two daughters are out of town. And I yeah. was wondering if that clue would have tipped you off. And, no, uh, that one didn't. And I was, the first like, one was Vin- Vincennes asked, straight up asked him, you were the supervising officer on this case. What do you remember about it? And then Dudley goes, what are you getting at? And I'm like, oh, bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I saw this movie back in 97, I didn't even see the turn then. I didn't see the turn until he shot him. And I, And remember, for those of you that are listening, in 1997, Kevin Spacey was not a bad guy. We didn't know anything that was going on. And Overall good guy, Kevin Spacey. Yes, and he was he was top build. He's coming off an Oscar win, not for American Beauty, but for Usual Suspects, because American right. Beauty is two years later. Uh, so to see to to see the the biggest star in the movie get shot was stunning. It was awesome, and I was jaw dropped. I was like, "What the fuck!" <laughs> and then. When he's oh, I, and I fucking love it. When he says Rolo Tomasi, it's yeah. such a great fucking payoff. It's such a great fucking payoff. And yeah. and, and how cool is it when uh, when Guy Pierce is asked about it and yes. he's just cool. He's cool as a fucking cucumber. We the audience can see in his eyes that he's shitting his pants. And he's just like, I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's so cool. It is that is ah. <laughs> Obviously, it's based off of a book, but it's brilliant screenwriting. Like, it yes. is brilliant screenwriting. Um, to circle back uh, yes. d- to the beginning, I love, again, we see more and more scenes of uh, helping explain these characters and furthering their their arcs and stuff. And Ed Exley is a expert politician and manipulator. He mm-hmm. knows how to work a room. He knows how to work the people. He knows the best way to get the best, to put himself in the best position possible in every situation. Ed Exley is, a, he's a fucking genius. After the scene of him speaking with his superiors about Bloody Christmas, after that scene, I was completely in his corner. I, I mean, before that, I was already like, this guy's sort of a, he's a, he's a quiet reserved badass but after that scene i was fully in his quarter in his corner he's a little bit of a sociopath almost that the way that he can manipulate he knows exactly uh, after only a few interactions with um uh vincennes he knows exactly how they're going to get him to crack he's like threaten to take away his show and he'll he'll tell you what you want to know mm-hmm. uh he'll testify for sure he knows exactly how to get to him there's this great shot actually of uh when they're talking to Vincennes and they threaten to take away his show, he just stares daggers into this uh, into this two way mirror. Yep. And he just <laughs> he knows exactly who it is that's watching him behind this thing, and it's it's really awesome. Oh yeah, like this movie is just 
it's brilliant. The movie mm-hmm. is brilliant. It's so perfectly cast. It's so perfectly written. It's so perfectly shot. Like this is just uh, this is filmmaking at its finest. Yes. And like I said, it's and I I do hope you end up revisiting this again, Sam, because it once once you've watched it, like for me, I'd say again. So for me, this movie is what twenty two years old. Twenty. Yeah, I guess 20, it would have been last last half of 1997, right? So probably 22 between 22 and 23. Whatever. It's over two decades old for me. I've seen this movie probably at least a dozen times, if yeah. not more. And so when you rewatch it and you know you start to know the names of characters, because the first time you watch a movie, because there's so many characters in this movie, and the names matter because they don't flash back to show you things. They just say the character's name. Yeah, it's 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 much like reading a book, which yeah, there's again, a lot of talking about people in this movie. Yes. And yeah. so once you know who they're talking about, for sure, it's so much easier to follow along. And the movies again, the movie just becomes even better because it's it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the. After well, Bud loses his job because of Bloody Christmas, but Dudley gives it back to him. And when Bud meets Dudley at that bar. And Dudley lifts up the paper to show his gun and badge. It's a great little character moment. I don't know if you noticed it, but Bud snatches them up so quickly, which mm-hmm. shows how important being a police officer is to him. Because you see scenes like this all the time where someone they take their badge away and they give him back, and the guy just kind of reaches over. He's like, okay. He takes yeah. it. He's like, I'm glad to be back on the force. You shouldn't have fired me in the first place. But... <laughs> crow like bud as soon as he sees them he like he snatches them up like they are lifeblood and it's just again like we say over and over every episode it's these little things that really add up and i I, like i said i fucking love this performance by russell crow i honestly felt that he should have been nominated for it yeah i i agree with all of that um i i wanted to touch a little bit on uh something that i said about uh, there's a lot of talking about people. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've talked about in particular when we always talk about villains, uh, setting them up by reputation is often really effective yes. and have people talking about them. Uh, they do a really good job of that with Bud White in this movie. There's one, I think it's between Vincennes and uh, Exley. Uh, after that last scene I was just talking about where uh, Vincennes is staring through the mirror, he says to Exley, Bud White will fuck you up for this, even if it takes him the rest of his life. Yeah. <laughs> there's There's just this underlying pressure that you just know it sets up so early how vengeful he is and it sets up an aspect of his character so early so when he says that you're like he'll fuck you up for this even if it takes him the rest of his life you believe him and then you you see all these scenes of him beating people up and taking uh the law into his own hands and and bending the rules just a little bit and you believe him you believe this about him and it's uh it's a really effective way of setting up characters and another reason why i want to rewatch it so that i can you know all these uh, setups like this where we're talking about uh, somebody's character uh, they're a little bit more effective when you know who the fuck's being talked about it's so amazing like like what you said about about like the uh, I guess like the reputation of Bud White that they set up in this movie like could they have casted any better with Russell Crowe like in yeah. retrospect knowing the type of person that Russell Crowe is and how intense he is in real life like it, it they he obviously displayed it during the casting process because like back then he was barely known but with all of his history now you watch this movie now and you're like there's nobody else that could play this character 
like it's so perfectly i i guess well nowadays you could you i think you could cast like tom hardy in that role but tom hardy's basically like russell crow 2.0 Ooh, that's good casting right there that's thank a good you. call thank you thank <laughs> you um the after or moving from there i'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit i i'm I don't want to go plot by plot in this because this plot is so dense and so heavy. Yeah, we'll be here all night. Yeah, I just kind of want to talk about some moments. And so after the Night Owl murder, when Crow finds out that his partner Stenzlin is dead, uh, Exley drops a fucking drop-the-mic badass burn that is fucking... Like, it's some cold shit. When he tells Bud White about his own partner... He says, hell of a way to avoid a prison sentence. <laughs> That's some cold shit. Exley is a motherfucker in this movie. He, he says some things a couple of times to Bud. He, he just absolutely knows how to push his buttons. He knows what a hothead he is. He is a, <laughs> it's one of the reasons their chemistry works so well. He is a master manipulator. Like, he is unfucking believable It's, oh, did you have, did you have something? I actually I wanted to talk about uh, I know we said we not, don't want to do every single plot point, but yeah. the night the night owl murders real quick. Yeah. What a what a suspenseful scene that is. Yeah. Uh, with the the setup with uh, him, the, I mean it's set up so well with uh, when Exley arrives, the uh, the cop on duty tells him that there's at least one dead in there, so that it's set up really well that you already know that there's danger when he's going in there. You don't know much about it. He walks in, he sees a dead body, he sees a blood stain on the door, he sees a blood trail leading to the bathroom, and it's all these breadcrumbs that are that are left around by the director that make you imagine what could have happened and mm-hmm. imagine what's going to happen and that's even scarier than what you're actually seeing on screen yeah. so in in my mind uh when exley shows up at the night owl that is a masterclass in suspense filmmaking and then when he walks into the bathroom and sees the pile of dead bodies and his face just goes completely deadpan uh it's it's a great moment yeah this like like i said this movie is this movie is spectacular and it's one of the reasons that it was on the fabled, what, 44 movie list? 44 movie list that I gave yeah, you? Yeah, I think it was like 40 not including the entire MCU. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm such a huge fan of this film. Um, moving from there, we get introduced to Lynn Brackett, who is played by Kim Basinger, who won an Oscar for this performance. And... The opening scene where we meet her, she has a client, and I love that he tries to act all tough to Bud White, who we know he shouldn't be opening his mouth at all, but Not it's a such bit. a great thing where Bud completely shoots him down, and he's like, officer, councilman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good throwaway line. Yeah. Um, but Crow and Basinger have incredible chemistry together. Their scenes are really really good and Basinger really earned her Oscar here the I just want to double check the other people she was up against yeah to uh to be honest with you this B plot was uh sort of the least interesting bit of the movie for me not that it was bad to any degree because this entire movie is good but I found myself most interested during the investigations and oh, this uh, the, totally. the the side little love triangle on the side was was less interesting for me but we do get uh, a great 
uh, White versus Exley moment because of this love triangle. So it, it's still worth it, absolutely, in the long run. Yeah, I, I get it. This is, I, I'm by no means am I saying because they have great chemistry and their scenes together and the way they act off one another that this mm-hmm. is the kind of, this was a highlight of the movie because the plot, the whole mystery, the whole everything the main part of this movie is what drives it forward and what makes it so good. I just really enjoy, I really enjoy how well that Crow and Basinger are working off one another. And I love that Basinger, I love that they, it's again, it's so rare that they write a great female character. And while I may get lambasted or lame, uh, lambasted. Sure. Yeah. I honestly don't know. I might get torn apart by saying a great character is a whore they she is no way a victim of her circumstance she is on the same level as a manipulator and cunning as ed exley the way she plays him later on is fucking professional like she is so incredibly intelligent and so incredibly good at what she does at making men do what she wants and she is not a pawn on this chessboard yeah, and we, we see that various times through this movie, especially with Exley towards the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also, I actually had never fully noticed, and I think I kind of really only did notice it as I was prepping for this episode and seeing that it did get nominated for a score, but the score is so good at setting the mood for this movie, and, remi- yeah. and it so plays in with the time. Yeah, very very retro like instrumentation. A lot of a lot of horns in it. A yeah. lot of it's very very noir. Very very much plays into the aesthetic of it. Um, which leads into for me one of the highlights of the movie, and that's where they arrest the three black boys and the interrogation scene, where X yeah. where Exley is a like i i it's the only word i can think of and that's genius like Mm -hmm. he's a genius at playing these guys off one another and getting the information and again it one we get to see Exley at his best and then because of the information he gets we get to see bud white at his best we get to see him obviously snap a little bit but that scene that follows where he goes and rescues that rape victim is just astounding. Yeah. Oh, well, I love, I mean, let's do the interrogation scene right at the beginning. There's this awesome shot of, uh, of I, I think Exley's in the interrogation room uh, and you can, we're looking through the mirror, but you can also see in the reflection of the mirror, uh, everybody who's watching yes. and, uh, and, and just waiting for Exley and, and being in awe of his, interrogation skills like it's it's a really good shot that just shows even though Exley's kind of a bastard and he's already kind of hated in the police force there's a ton of respect for him uh from a professional standpoint from all the other detectives it's a nice intro i think to the to the tone of the scene yeah it's it was like it's how i watch Derek jeter <laughs> i hate yeah, him you can't you don't like him but god damn it do you respect him yeah yeah it's pretty much i fucking hate him but goddamn, do I have to respect him? Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, the the way that they play the interrogate or the uh, uh, the suspects off of each other, uh, and by the time he gets into the second room, the second one's already pissed himself yep. from fear because he thinks he's getting the gas chamber. 
I, I can't imagine being in that spot. Yeah, I don't ever want to imagine being in that spot. But he plays off, he plays them off one another by you know turning on the microphone in one room so the other two suspects can hear what he's saying at perfect times. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, it, it's absolute brilliance from Ed Exley, and then we discover that these guys aren't quite who we thought they were and what they're being accused of and it sets off bud white and when he's you can see the rage building and then he snaps that back of the chair and go when he does that fucking gun in that guy's mouth i was like holy fuck and then the the rest of like from that point on it's all it's a little mini bud white story like he goes in and then like excellent everyone's supposed to follow him in and then i think it's i think it's dudley who tells actually like no just hold back let bud do what he does and yep. it's a nice again it's it's similar to the night i will see him we know he's going into some trouble you see that girl tied up in the bed your fucking heart breaks and then even more so as you go into the next room and there's just this guy eating cereal watching tv knowing what's in that room next to him like it just made it it, it had a pit in my stomach i'm like yeah. this, there's it's so sad that there's sick fucks like this out there I, I do quickly want to say before we uh, before we get here, just that the bud uh, snapping the back of the chair actually got a bit of a chuckle out of me. I don't know if it was supposed to. I don't. <laughs> I found that a little, just a little bit overkill. <laughs> <laughs> the way he just snaps this chair, but yeah, him him taking the gun and putting it in the dude's mouth is uh, it was super intense, a super intense action from Crow, and I kind of. I, I'm feeling a little bit ambivalent about the style of interrogation that's being romanticized in this movie. I'm not going to lie to you. This, like, it is sort of a cliche that the 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 rough around the edges guy who's a rogue cop likes to torture people. Sort of your Jack. Like, this is something that Jack Bauer got criticized for in 24 on TV for several several years. I don't know how to feel about the over romanticization of torture in movies mm-hmm. in Hollywood, but hey, gets results in the movies, so uh, I'm here for it, I guess. Let's go. <laughs> and you also need that, of course, because X is against it, and it sets up this whole uh, dynamic between them. So I'm here for it. Anyway, yeah, when we're, uh, when we're in the house uh, with, the, with the rape victim, I, I also wanted to touch on the fact that there's this great close-up on her face where she gives a little nod towards the living room, like he's in there, and mm-hmm. he just gives her a little nod back, like I understand. And it's... Again, small touch, but makes all the difference. I remember just being like, yes, I'm so glad they inserted that in there. Yeah, it's it's a great moment. And then, it, again, it just – these great moments and scenes just really show you again and really solidify the, these characters, their motivations, what drives them, and where they're going from here forward. Mm-hmm. And after she's rescued, there's that great scene Bud's walking away and Exley's being a fucking dick. And the, what probably my favorite line is, uh, you know, it will look like justice. And yeah. it's, I, I fucking love that line because I am, I am fine. Like when he, uh, like if people, uh, if people are listening to this podcast while watching the movie, Bud White sh- technically shoots the guy in the front room in cold blood. Yeah. He's unarmed. Bud White shoots him and then stages that it looked stages that he was shot at first. Yeah. And I am 100% okay with this. 
I won't yeah, lie. Yeah, I think uh, with with a girl tied up and bound and bloodied in the other room, uh, and you're sitting there, I think I think he was resisting arrest. Yeah, I, th- I think he was, he was resisting for sure. Totally, he totally was. <laughs> totally was resisting. He was resisting arrest, <laughs> and I, I I'm not even kidding. I, I won't. Lie. I am 100 percent okay with Bud White shooting this man. Yeah, me too. Yep. And nothing of value was lost that day. The end. Yes. (laughs) And for those of you that have seen this movie, if you're trying to find something to be offended about, it has nothing to do with the color of his skin. (laughs) Yeah, you even took the liberty, I noticed, of uh, changing the way these fellows are referred to. Yes. (laughs) Probably a smart move in 2020. Eh, whatever. It doesn't doesn't matter. The the guy in the front room was just eating cereal with a rape victim tied up in the bedroom in the next... His yeah. ethnicity had nothing to do with the way I felt about him being shot. Cheers. Cheers. Good riddance um, to bad rubbish. <laughs> um, I love that scene uh, between Exley and White uh, outside of this building where uh, yeah, he said it would look like justice. And Exley has this response like, you don't know the meaning of the word. Like, and this, this banter between the two of them, in my opinion, this scene is like what the movie is about it's about what justice is and what it looks like Mm -hmm. and they have two opposing viewpoints and honestly neither of them are even wrong the important thing is that they both believe that they are right though yes so it's it's a jumping off point for all this really interesting stuff in the movie yeah scenes like this are what makes this movie uh better than just your average you know action movie yes and the thing that i love is because they set up these characters so good they show they show them both con- they they show them all contemplating the other side of the coin that they're on mm-hmm. and so when at each point of this movie that they do see the other side and start to turn that other side it's not untrue to their character and the one scene that i always love a lot is when vincennes makes that turn yeah. After coming back from from you know he takes the money to uh, to set up that the guy that he arrested in the first scene who is they're setting him up to try and get dirt on him because he's gonna sleep with the mayor no district attorney DA yeah yes DA who happens to be gay and back then uh, a little bit frowned upon not <laughs> not uh, not socially acceptable in any yes. way shape or form and he he's sitting there and he's got fifty dollars. And he decides, I don't, I don't want this. Like, this isn't, this is no longer, my soul's no longer for sale. Mm-hmm. And he goes to get the kid out of trouble because he gets there early and discovers the body instead. It's uh, that turn that Jack does, or yeah, uh, that Jack does, I like it because it didn't come out of nowhere. They'd been building towards it. He had been working, you know, he'd been working in Vice and he'd been, trying to get back onto his show and realize that the things that he was doing probably weren't for the best. And he wants to be a better man. It's, it's this, this movie's just so fucking good. And these actors are just so good. When you're writing plot, you always need to have your characters relationships and motivations in mind. Like if you're writing this plot, for example, and you need uh, Vincennes and Exley to team up at some point. Well, you can't just have them team up because Exley's the most hated guy in the force. You can't just you can't just have this relationship happen. You need to have this emotional turn from Jack first so that the two of them can team up, and it's it's well timed. Yeah. Um. The. <laughs> 
it's when Exley and Jack are together. Uh, they, I think, might might be the funniest moment when Exley mistakes Lana Turner for being a whore. <laughs> yeah, a hooker cut to look like Lana Turner is still a hooker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, honestly, one of the best parts of this moment is the fact that they can laugh about it in the car after. Yes. I've, I, I shared, like, a contagious laugh with them. It was really funny. <laughs> um, moving from there, this is this this is where they're starting to unravel the things that are going on. They're getting closer. And this is where Lynn plays Exley like a fiddle. Mm. And he actually thinks he's going there to get something to get something on Bud White. And what ends up happening is that Lynn knows exactly what he's trying to do and just expertly turns it into her favor because she knows. And I love like the only I think I I guess for me, perhaps the weakest part of this movie is just kind of how quickly Lynn falls for Bud. But I guess if you look at it like she is a whore. And so she's used to be, well, I, you know what? Maybe it's not even set up that bad because she says in that you're the first man that didn't mention how much I look like Veronica Lake within the first 20 minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you look better than Veronica Lake. <laughs> and I guarantee you as a woman whose main attribute that men enjoy is her beauty for a man to not mention it, but still show interest would probably ring fairly true. Yeah. And then I love again the brilliance of this movie is when she dis- when when Bud comes over and she takes him into her room and not her for I guess for lack of a better word her studio. Right? She takes him into her actual bedroom to have sex. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, movie. like this is not a business appointment. Yes. Like the line is quite clearly drawn. Yeah. And it's it's I I don't know. I just I I I'm totally fanboying out on this movie because I've watched it so many times, but it's it's such brilliant filmmaking that a, that that when these characters make decisions or they do things, they're not coming from out of nowhere. You understand the motivations of everybody. So yeah, I I love this, and I uh, like I said, I love how Exley goes there thinking he's in charge and he's the one that's going to come out ahead and Lynn just completely flips it on him with without actually even knowing until it's too late. Yeah. I, I think we're, uh, we're past this point maybe, or maybe we're just getting there, but a good conversation between white and Lynn as well, where uh, we find out the origins of uh, Bud's particular disdain for uh, domestic abusers. Yeah. We, uh, how we, he, I passed he, over it. Yeah. Yeah, he watched his mom get beat to death with a tire iron, and then they never found his dad. That is some brutal shit. Yeah. Yeah. Messed up. Uh, There was another scene I wanted to talk about uh, back with Exley and Vincennes. Um, they're they're having a discussion about why they became cops. And this is where we find out uh, the name Rolo Tomasi, what it means. Uh, and oh, we know that yes. only the two of these characters know. And Exley has this really heartfelt story about how his dad's death affected him and made him want to find uh, people who thought they could get away with it. And then he asks Vincennes, why do you become a cop? And he hesitates for a second and says, I don't remember. Yeah. And that is... 
excellent acting from Kevin Spacey. I, I love his delivery of that line. You can see he's he's got this little smirk on his face, like he's trying to think of something, and then he just says, I don't remember. He, yeah. he doesn't know. I and lo- this it fits in so well to his arc of like rediscovering himself as a cop. Yeah. And I love like I, I love exactly what like I, I I'm so glad you brought that scene up because that Rollo Tomasley story is so great. And at the time when you're watching it the first time, all you're thinking is this is just a character building moment. It's mm-hmm. letting you know why Exley got into being a cop. And little do you know until a little bit later on how important that Rollo Tomasi story is. Like how mm-hmm. expertly crafted that moment is and the payoff it becomes later that we've already mentioned uh, from when we were talking about James Cromwell. But it's, uh, again, I can see why this one uh, best adapted screenplay. Yeah, it's so uh, <clears throat> so interesting, interestingly woven into the story and everything's got a, like a setup and a payoff later. It's It's excellent. So, well, you know, that's exactly, like, after that, it, this is where Jack's death comes, and which we've already discussed. I'm so happy that <laughs> you didn't see it coming until right before it happened. Uh, I saw it about a split second before Vincennes did. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I do have a note on, hold on, I want to see if I can find it, because it's a little bit, here it is. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey had a great deal of difficulty playing dead. Uh, it was easy enough for him to stare straight ahead when there was an actor or actress in front of him, but his first instinct was to follow James Cromwell with his eyes when he moved. He had to ask a production assistant to draw a circle for him to which to look on the opposite wall. <laughs> that is pretty funny. And that's, started, that's one of the most talented actors of uh, of the time. I know. And, uh, he can't play dead. I was just thinking, like, if I lay there and I'm staying still, but there's an I'm, I'm talking to this person. I just say the role of Tomasi, and then they kind of walk off. I kind of think my eyes would go with them as well. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do a lot of the stuff that's being acted in this movie. I couldn't act worth a shit. No. That's why I just neither. talk about acting. Yeah, exactly. Those who can't do, right? Yeah, exactly. Teach? <laughs> I'm not even teaching it. <laughs> I feel like uh, we're providing edutainment for the people. Oh, and well, well said. And then that leads into, again, something that we've already discussed, but... It's brilliant, brilliant facial acting by Guy Pierce when he hears the name Rolo Tomasi from Dudley. It is, like you said, you can see it in his eyes, but his face, like, great poker face, but you Mm -hmm. can see it in his eyes because we know what that means to him. Oh, it's, again, it's just... The nerd in me getting a complete screenwriting hard on. It's so fucking amazing the way that but, they build everything up. Th- this is a strange side note, but is this an aspect of Guy Pierce's face that I just haven't noticed before? That he he always looks like he just had two teeth taken out, like two front teeth taken out. He's got like these weird like bumps on the sides of his lips. Am I am I alone in noticing that? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. From a few different angles, I was just like, did he just have like his canines taken out or something? It was it was strange. <laughs> yeah, it really does, doesn't he? Yeah, right? They're like perma dimples? Maybe. Except they're like out dents. Yeah. It just, his mouth just looks swollen all the time. That's what I'm trying to get at. I just watched, uh, he was in Iron Man 3. Yeah, that's right. Oh, oh what movie is that from? Who knows? Just looking at pictures of Guy, random pictures of Guy Pierce. Favorite is Memento. He's a, he's a handsome fella. 
He is. Yeah. That's why I'm nitpicking his facial appearance is just just because I can because he can't fight back because nobody listens to us <laughs> and nor can they see us. Yeah. Well, I don't. I'm, I have to double check. I don't think we've had anybody from Australia listen to our episodes yet. Mm. I can. I'll find out. I'll find out. Well, well, with everyone uh, staying inside now, being quarantined, it's the perfect time to uh, introduce the podcast to your friends. Yes. <laughs> Please do. If you're looking for a way to kill about two weeks, we probably have more than two weeks of material. 100% we do. <laughs> um, which leads us into, I guess, the end of the show. So we, we go to the final gunfight at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, we, we have had uh, some Australian listeners. Wow, look at us. Yeah. Again, either we've had Australian listeners or we've had people using Australian VPNs listen yes, to us. Very true. <laughs> very true. Uh, uh, there was there was one moment that we skipped over that I, I do want to touch on quick. Oh. And that is uh, something that probably wouldn't be written into the movie if it was written in 2020. And that is the payoff of Russell Crowe slapping Lynn. No, that would still be in the movie. Yeah. Uh, it would oh, st- oh, it would still be in the movie? 100%. 100%. Oh, okay. Yeah, 100%. Because this is this is in the fifties, mm-hmm. so it's 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 still that that's it's time period correct. It is. It absolutely is time period correct. But I think it's movies are always a reflection of the time period they're made in as well, right? Yeah. And I, I I if they would leave this in in two thousand twenty, maybe they just wouldn't have them end up together at the end. Mm, yeah, because possi- I, I think this is the sort of thing that in a modern movie would be more likely to be portrayed as like unforgivable. Understandable. Yeah. Understandable. Not, uh, again, in in the fifties, like yes, hundred percent, this sort of thing is going to happen. Yeah, but I, I feel like less likely. It's less likely to be written this way now. Possibly. 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 We'll never know because it was already written. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I thank you for bringing this up because I actually forgot to pay it back. Is again, it it low it it goes into again for me Russell Crowe's amazing performance because he's obviously upset over her sleeping with Exley. He's, and so he does the one, probably the most reprehensible thing that he could, that he can do. And that's hit a woman. And he has that moment where he realizes it. And the shame yeah. on his face is spectacular. Yeah. And he just like cowers and leaves basically. Yep. And yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I think in general, uh, the movie does a good job of uh, setting up the motivations of each of these characters and their beliefs and uh, and then showing the shortcomings of them. Yep. So this scene in particular shows the shortcomings of Bud's belief in violence as like an inherent good. Basically, mm-hmm. it shows it shows what happens when you allow violence and hatred to just motivate your every your every decision. And he he winds up doing the thing that he finds most reprehensible. Yeah, and, and it's awesome because like every single character in this movie, whether well all of them are flawed, and yeah. it's it, honestly it's a nice change. No Mary Sue's around. No fucking Mary Sue's <laughs> around. <laughs> so what did you think of the the final gunfight in the hotel? Uh, hotel. I thought it was, I. I thought it was spectacular. Yeah. I, uh, you want to talk about uh, noir filmmaking. This is like everything from 
the construction of it, the the dialogue in particular, the lighting. I love the way that the headlights from the cars come pouring through these bullet holes in the wall. It's so ridiculously well constructed and well lit. Um, yeah, I I loved the gunfight. The final gunfight is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah, it's so well shot and it's so nice. It's so nice to see a realistic gunfight. Yes. Don't get me wrong. I love stylized gunfights. The John Wick movies, the Atomic Blonde, they're fun. But when you actually get to see something that's a little bit closer to realism, it's it reminds you like, okay, like these are these are just as enjoyable. They may not be operatic or balletic in its gunfire and its fight, but seeing something kind of raw and real is equally as enjoyable. There's a there's a small shot of uh, Exley. I think he's reloading a revolver, mm-hmm. and uh, he his hands are shaking, and he he can't even get the bullets into it. It's not even really lingered on. It's not like a close up or anything. It's just him trying to reload, and he's quivering from the adrenaline. And again, it's a moment like that that you don't really see in a in like you said a John Wick or an Atomic Blonde style movie. Uh, I I loved that moment. I I loved this entire scene because of its realism uh, combined with how stylized it is in this retro 50s filmmaking uh noir style yeah i'm uh yeah it's it's one of the highlights of the movie is Mm -hmm. the final gunfight and then we get to the end where we think bud white has well we 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 see bud white get shot in the face yeah but but like they stole from sicario 2 I was just going to say I'm having flashbacks to Sicario 2. <laughs> I didn't make the mistake of automatically assuming he was dead this time. <laughs> I've learned my lesson now. Fool me once. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Uh, where we think Bud White's dead because he was shot in the face. And I, I don't know if you if – you, I'm sure you did. But <clears throat> they're walking out. Dudley's trying to play into Exley's political mindset and game, manipulating everything. And he's walking away from Exley with his back to him, mm-hmm. saying, You know, put your hands up, you know, show him your badge, boyo, you know, so they know you're a cop. And Exley shoots him in the back. The exact question that Dudley asked him at the beginning of the movie Are you willing to shoot? someone who you know is guilty in the back if they might get away with it. And that's exactly, and actually answered no at the beginning of the movie, but he answered yes at the end. Character arc, motherfucker. Yeah, character arc and brilliant screenwriting. Indeed. Oh, I, lo- I loved it too because it, it honestly looks like, because if you, if you know Exley, you know that everything that Dudley's saying kind of makes sense. And you're thinking, Exley's going to take the political way out. And he doesn't. He takes the righteous way out. He takes the path that Bud White would take. And it's yeah, they, fucking- both, they both learn from each other and amend their own views through the course of the movie, which is, which is what this movie's all about, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's, all, it's, all about, it's all about honor and justice. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's brilliant. And then we get, then we see Exley being rewarded <laughs> for 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 everything he's done. But we have we get that great scene where he's laying, telling everybody what's happened, and they're all like, 
and they say right there like this will this will tarnish the LAPD for decades to come. Yeah. And so they they find the best way around it with obviously Axley's help. Who knows exactly what they do? And there's that great scene where he's in that interrogation room all by himself and he just starts smiling. And they say, "What are you smiling about? A hero." <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I I personally I think the ending to the movie is pretty darn good. Um, I, I love the the conclusion of the final shootout, and uh, I kind of wish that I don't know. Part of me wishes that uh, Kim Basinger didn't wind up with either of them, but I, I she clearly had more of a connection with White than she did with Exley. So oh yeah, she had no she had no attraction to Exley. She only slept yeah. with them to gain the upper hand. Yeah, as a manipulation yeah. Uh, tactic. So yeah. I, and again, I kind of wished that she wouldn't have wound up with either of them and just made her own life for herself. Um, but yeah, I can get on board. Yeah. Well, I like. Oh, okay. Well, okay, I'll get into it. So that's that's kind of like that's everything in the movie that I kind of wanted to discuss. Did you have anything else you wanted to touch on? I think that's just about it, man. All right, I got some trivia for it. Sure. Uh, let's see. Was that? Uh... Oh, okay. Uh, according to Guy Pierce on the. DVD commentary, he attended a James Elroy one-man show in his native Melbourne, Australia, where the film was in when, while sorry, while the film was in pre-production. Pierce notes that during a Q&A session following Elroy's, Elroy's performance, an audience member asked if any of Elroy's books would ever be adapted into film. Elroy replied that not only was LA confidential in pre-production, but two Australian natives, Pierce and Russell Crowe, were cast in the film. The audience erupted into laughter thinking that Elroy was playing a wry joke on the audience by randomly naming two local actors and claiming they were cast in a big-budget Hollywood film. Pierce, who was sitting in the audience, was mortified. <laughs> it was only a year later that the audience learned that Elroy was, in fact, telling the truth. That's great. I, I can't imagine reacting like that. Maybe, maybe it's just because everything's a little bit more globalized now in filmmaking, yeah. and we, we've had sort of a boom in it, but that's, that's a hilarious reaction. Uh, James Elroy describes the character of Bud White as the biggest cop on the Los Angeles force, noting uh, noting that he wasn't even six feet tall. Russell Crowe decided to move into apartments so small that he had to duck to get into the doorways and could barely stand up. Crowe said this worked into making him feel like a giant by the time he came to the set to shoot. <laughs> That's kind of ridiculous, but okay. Yeah, but it works because it, like... On screen, we can't really tell the size of Russell Crowe, and I actually don't know. I, I honestly wouldn't have been able to tell you that Russell Crowe isn't six feet tall. The no. way he carries himself on screen makes me believe that he's easily a six-foot-tall man. So it definitely plays out. like He plays Bud White with such oversized, I guess, confidence. Yeah, It's, it's so well done. Uh, Basinger turned down the role of Lynn Bracken three times before saying yes. I wonder why. It's, it's a perfect, it's a fantastic role. Yeah. Uh, Russell Crowe initially turned the film down, saying he, t he did not believe that he could portray such a tough character. Which, again, like we were talking about earlier, he's such a tough guy in real life. He's notoriously an asshole. <laughs> yep. And very standoffish. Yeah. Which leads into the next part. Russell Crowe recalled that James Elroy told him that Bud White doesn't drink. So Crow didn't have a drink for the entire shoot, which he described as the most painful period of his life. <laughs> yeah. 
In today's currency, the $50 that Jack receives from Sid and uses to pay for his drink is worth $500. Inflation's a bitch. Yep. Uh, I already said that one. Mm. What's that one? Nah. Oh, did you stick around to the end credits? I don't think that I did. Oh, because there's an end credit scene. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the credits, there's a brief scene from Badge of Honor featuring an on-screen dedication in honor of Jar- Sergeant Jack Vincennes, who within the film had served as the Hollywood cop and advisor to the film. The scene shows a black-and-white closing moment of Badge of Honor with the credits inscribed, dedicated to Sergeant Jack Vincennes. Ah, I know. That's a nice touch. Uh, some casting what-ifs. The role of Bud White was offered to Michael Madsen. That's, that's good casting, I think. Yeah, and Mel Gibson. Again, overall good guy, Mel Gibson. Yeah, overall good guy. Uh, and then these are the other ladies that turned down the role of Lynn Bracken. Uh, Lorraine Bracco. She, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that she played uh, Ray Liotta's wife in Goodfellas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Gina Davis. All Melanie right. Griffith. Terry Hatcher. Angelica Houston. Jennifer Jason Lee, Michelle Pfeiffer. Renee Russo, Meg Ryan, all turned down the role. And as we get further back, these lists are going to get increasingly 90s, aren't they? Very much so. It's a very 90s list. Uh, all right. So we're at favorite scene. I've got two. I'm trying to figure out which one I want to pick. Sam, why don't you go first? Uh, I think I'm going to have to go with the final gun battle. It's so well constructed, and uh, I was just in awe of the way that it was lit in particular, which yeah. I don't usually notice. Um, and the, uh, the the stylized elements in, co- in combination with the uh, realistic elements is just a really, really fantastic action scene. So I'm going to go with that. That's where I was going to go. Since you went with that, I'll go with the interrogation scene. I love the way that Ed Exley manipulates the suspects into revealing information and then to revealing the location of what he thinks is something else and ends up being a rape victim. Uh, and then it, it kind of really highlights both Ed Exley's skill and Bud White's skill. Uh, but I, I honestly can't argue the final shootout is so well done. Uh, favorite quote. I've got three. Sure. Uh, so I've got one. Uh, it's by the uh, what's the fucking guy? What's the name of what's the name of the guy that does an autopsy? Coroner. There you go. His name's Ray. He goes uh, stomach of the week. Unemployed actor had frankfurter, French fries, alcohol, and sperm. Hell of a last supper, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, that's a funny one. Uh, the other one I have. Uh, Captain uh, Captain Dudley Smith says Bud White is a valuable officer. Ed Exley White's a mindless thug, and he goes, "No, Edmund, he's just a man who can answer yes to those questions I've asked you from time to time." Mm-hmm. But the favorite one is uh, which I mentioned earlier. Exley, after the rape victim guy's been shot and they're carting her away, Exley goes, "A naked man with a gun? Do you really expect anyone to believe that?" Bud White, get the fuck away from me. How's it going to look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. Justice. That's going to be my favorite quote. 
Love that. Um, I, I had a couple as well, but I, I you listed off a few of them. I think the winner for me is actually one that we didn't even talk about. It's this really good quote from uh, Exley near the beginning of the film when they're talking about how none of the other police officers are going to testify uh, for Bloody Christmas. Mm-hmm. And Exley says... That's that's because they think silence and integrity are the same thing. Oh yeah, that's a great that's, one. I I think I audibly went damn for that moment because <laughs> that's that's a that's a great line. I love that. Awesome. So before we get into our final thoughts, for those of you listening, I have I'm kind of springing something on Sam here. I didn't give him I gave him a heads up that something was going to be happening here at this part of the podcast that we're going to try something new. I have seven questions that I'm going to ask Sam that will kind of allow us to kind of wrap up our final thoughts on this film. So I'm going to ask them of Sam, and both Sam and I are going to ask them. Or, sorry, answer them. My apologies. Sam, first question. Yes. What performances, if any, do you feel should have been nominated? Uh, I think he hit the nail on the head with uh, Russell Crowe. He was probably robbed of the nomination. Uh, do you do you have uh, who was nominated uh, off the top of your head? By I, the way, I uh, do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know you've. I know you know two of them. Okay. So the best actor nominees of this year were Jack Nicholson for As Good as It Gets, mm-hmm. Matt Damon for Goodwill Hunting, which I know you have, and then the other three I haven't seen either. So if you've seen them. Kudos to you. That's Robert okay. Duvall for The Apostle, Peter Fonda for Yuli's Gold, and Dustin Hoffman for Wag the Dog. No, I have not. So without having seen those last three, I can feel comfortable slotting in Russell Crowe probably. Yeah. Um, as much as I love the character of uh, of Edmund Exley, I, Guy Pierce is not quite on the same level. He, he's very good, and they have excellent chemistry, the two of them. But I would probably... Again, with with me not having seen three of those nominees, I can probably slot them both in and feel comfortable about it. But yep. yeah, Russell Russell Crowe for sure. Yeah, I agree, a hundred percent. What uh, do you think? Since she was nominated, are you and won? B singer's performance is Lynn Bracken. Yeah, I was a fan for sure. Okay, um, she, I, I I was sort of ambivalent about it at first in the movie. Like she doesn't get very emotional right away in mm-hmm. the movie uh but she has some good scenes in particular with uh with russell crowe they have good chemistry as well okay. so yeah i'm very okay with that all right now, this might be a little bit harder for you to answer but it's i still think i i still want your opinion is this anyone's best career performance um from what i have seen of all these characters i am going to say maybe kim basinger uh, with with limited experience in her, her filmography. Yep. Uh, for the three male leads, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Kevin Spacey, off the top of my head, we've already talked about American Beauty on this show. I've also seen um, Seven. I've seen, uh, what was the one we were just talking about? Usual Suspects. Yep. I, I think I'd be hard-pressed to put this above Seven. I love his performance in Seven. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I This... If I took a deep, hard look at Kevin Spacey's entire filmography, while mm-hmm. I think he's great as Jack Vincennes, like I yeah. honestly can't think of, I can't think of anybody else in that role because he does it so well. Because as yeah. much as much problems as he has attached to him, you cannot deny anybody out there cannot deny the talent of this man. 
Yeah, like absolutely. Un- undeniably yeah, talented. Undeniably talented. I, I, was a big, I was a big House of Cards fan as well when he was on it. Ugh, Incredibly right? talented actor. Fuck. And then so, yeah. I never watched season six. I heard it went to shit. Yeah, same here. Um, <clears throat> I'm with you. Uh, this is, e- in my opinion, easily uh, Kim Basinger's best performance. Mm-hmm. I could possibly make an argument that this is Russell Crowe's best performance, but I'm... I mean, he has so many good ones, though. Like, we've already talked about Master and Commander and Gladiator on this show. Yeah, and, and the, both and of the those insider. Would be in contention. And the Insider, yep. Yeah. You know, and, and the nice guys, and... Fuck. Right? And... We I get, don't think... Even if you want to make the argument this is his best role, you can't say comfortably, I don't think. There, there's... That would be a debate. That would be a Hall of Fame episode in and of itself. Yes. And the fun thing is, is that we just named off five of his performance, and yet we didn't even talk about his Oscar-winning performance as of a, of a beautiful mind. Yeah, wow. Shit. And he really just dominated during the early 2000s, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. The man it's is... C- Cinderella Man as well. Great movie. Yes. He's extremely... Like, this man is extremely talented. So, yeah, yeah I can't... I can't say... Um, is his best performance and same with guy pierce uh i don't i'm with you i love his performances at exley i don't know if i could put this as his best performance i love memento i was gonna say memento <laughs> his performances in you know uh priscilla the queen of the desert is, is pretty spectacular as well i would not know that yep um all right next out what or who stood out the most for you in this movie who's uh who who's uh, who's the winner? Who who's the MVP? I think Crow. Yeah, I'm with you. Crow. Um who or what was the weak link of the film for you? So that can be uh, some actor's performance or maybe some filmmaking aspect. Uh I think we talked about it a little bit. Uh, not that uh the again it's kind of kind of weird to talk about because Russell Crowe and Kim Basinger we just talked about uh how excellent their performances are. But their side plot, I found less interesting than most of the murder investigation stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I think the the uh, I guess you can't even really call it a love triangle because of the nature of uh, her and Guy Pierce sleeping together, kind of being uh, a political move. But I, I found myself in their scenes, kind of being like, "Man, I can't wait to get back to the murder investigations, and I can't wait to get back to the gunfights and stuff like that." So that that'd be my pick. The uh, the B plot between. Uh, uh, Bud White and uh, Lynn. Could I offer actually? It's it's part of what you said, but I think once I tell you what I think your answer was going to be, is the fact that she stays with Bud White after the oh, assault. Oh, that's that's a good one too. That's also very good. Okay. Yeah, that's I, I would say that's an aspect of the relationship that I didn't like for sure. Okay. I I won't lie. I have a hard time trying to find a weak link in this film. It's very good. Okay. What other aspects of this movie should be recognized? It all it did get nine Oscar nominations, so there's not a lot that didn't get recognized. But is there was there a part of this movie that perhaps you didn't that you weren't aware was recognized by the Academy and that kind of stood out for you, like? Were you impressed by the cinematography? Were you impressed by the costume design? Did the did the score stand out for you? Those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the score, but I think in particular, um, the the cinematography was. Uh, we talked about it a lot during the gunfight, but 
throughout uh the the camera has this way of uh moving around and uh, finding itself in all these interesting situations i love the the movements of the camera it almost seems sort of like i don't know sort of like finchery mm -hmm. uh it's uh i don't know i it was i guess it was sort of minimalistic um but but still really effective so cinematography would be one uh we talked about the musical score about how it's very era appropriate it sets the tone of the the noir really well uh especially with the instrumentation but ag again this movie lost basically everything to titanic yeah <laughs> as far as i know so yes I, I, you could argue that all of it uh, should have been more appreciated but yeah we'll we'll get there yeah okay in a future episode cool uh would you ever watch this movie again yeah, that's a definite yes. I'm uh, I'm very certain that I'll be watching this movie again. Um, I should really start a rewatch list as well. Uh, I have a, I have a to watch list, but uh, not a rewatch <laughs> list. But this is going to be one that's going to get better on rewatch, in my opinion. So yes, awesome. absolutely yes. Yeah, I'll be watching this movie again. And then the last one is: Would you recommend this film to other people? You bet I would. It's uh, it's a ton of fun. I think there's something in this movie for everyone. If, like you said, you are paying attention. Yeah. Put the phone down watch the movie and ideally be alert awake in in a mindset to uh to use your brain yeah exactly that oh, that's exactly right perfect okay so th those <laughs> were those were my kind of setups for our final thoughts what how'd you think what'd you think i like that that's a that's a nice little uh way of wrapping it up all right, right. so uh rating uh i'll go first this is a five knew it <laughs> five 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 Sam, let's see, your rating. Hmm. Kate, tell us your rating. I think, uh, yeah, you're, you're holding up a four right now and you're bang on. Um, I, I fully reserve the right upon rewatch to update this to a five, but I think uh, there are enough elements in this movie that are uh, going to be better upon rewatch the convoluted nature of the plot uh and uh, a number of the performances and a number of the setups and payoffs i think a lot of these things are going to be better appreciated upon rewatch um if i was to nitpick i would also say um the relationship stuff between uh crow and basinger uh while still good and effective and uh, has two good performances in it sometimes dragged and made me wish i was watching a gunfight but I, I think if I rewatch this movie two, three more times, you, you'll see this get bumped up to a five. Nice. All right. Uh, what's going on next week? Next week. Well, we were just talking about it. It's going to be the final movie, the uh, the big winner from the 1998 Academy Awards from the 1997 film year. Titanic, a small independent film, if I recall, <laughs> uh, from uh, from an up and coming director named James Cameron. Uh, he never wound up making anything of himself in the industry, so that's too bad. Uh, but yeah, we'll be talking about uh, Titanic. I'm really excited. It's been a long, long time since I've seen that movie. Really? So, see, yeah. yeah. It's been a while. Awesome. I'm really excited. I'm actually, I, I was really excited for all five of these films, to be honest. And, uh, well, I, I shouldn't say I was really excited to talk about the Full Monty, but the Full Monty was still fun. Uh, but I, I am really looking forward to discussing this movie titanic I'm, I'm not sure if anybody out there has heard of it or seen it so hopefully they get a chance to watch it before we record next week uh so please remember to rate review and subscribe to us on itunes 
If you give us that five-star rating, which only takes you like 15 <coughs> seconds, just go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. It will increase the profile of this profile of, of this profile. It'll increase the profile of this profile, which is a, <laughs> which is of a podcast. <laughs> Getting tired over there, Manny? A little bit. Probably yeah. not as tired as you, but still tired nonetheless. And uh, please, uh, never mind. I can't say anything. Instagram, Twitter, Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. Follow us there. Facebook is the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. We love you guys. We appreciate the feedback we're getting. We appreciate you guys listening to us. It means everything to us. So for the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. How will this episode look? It'll look like justice. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.